You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 36. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, executive and mentor coach and coaching instructor. If this is your first listen to the show, I am so glad that you could join us. I hope that you really enjoy today's show and maybe so much so that you even check out our earlier episodes. And for those of you who are familiar to the show, thanks for being listeners and for coming back today and for sharing your feedback with me. That's very important, and I really appreciate it. As we've discussed strategies, tools, and resources for professional coaching over the last several months, I think you'll agree that one theme that continually arises is the importance of bringing value to our clients, to being ethical and credible as a profession, and that each of us continues to grow and learn so that we're able to partner with our clients in the best possible ways. Since I come from a background as a licensed clinical social worker and a psychotherapist for over three decades, I'm definitely a believer in the value of evidence-based approaches in our work with clients. And our guest today will emphasize the importance of utilizing those proven approaches when we are partnering with clients. She states in the interview, if you want high-quality clients, you have to have high-quality approaches. Caroline Miller has been a pioneer with her groundbreaking work in the areas of goal-setting and accomplishment, grit, happiness, and success. Having been featured in hundreds of magazines, newspapers, and other media outlets over the years, Caroline is recognized as one of the world's leading positive psychology experts on this research and how it can be applied to one's life for maximum transformation and growth. In 2015, she was named one of the 10 positive psychology coaches to follow. Caroline is the author of several books, Two we're going to explore in more depth today. Creating Your Best Life is the first mass market self-help book on the science of happiness and how it intersects with the science of accomplishing our goals. In 2017, it was recognized as one of the 10 best books to help achieve your goals by Live Happy Magazine. And then her new release, Getting Grit, the evidence-based approach to cultivating passion, perseverance, and purpose is the other focus of our interview today. Now, in today's interview, Caroline is going to share her findings and approaches to goal accomplishments and the importance of grit and how that influences us as coaches and how we can apply that work with our clients. So let's go to our interview with Caroline Miller. Welcome, Caroline Miller, to the Star Coach Show. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. 
I'm so happy that you're here. You have a new book out that I think is going to bring incredible value to our audience. Getting Grit, the evidence-based approach to cultivating passion, perseverance, and purpose. Tell us a little bit about Getting Grit. What's grit? Oh boy, what a big question. Grit is a lot of things. And it's this is really an outgrowth of my fifth book, Creating Your Best Life, which I think a lot of coaches use as their goal-setting Bible. I have a chapter about grit in that book because one of the things that I discovered when I wrote Creating Your Best Life, which is really the first evidence-based goal-setting book on the market ever that connected the science of happiness with the science of success and goal setting. One of the pieces of information in that book is that the happiest people wake up every single day to clear cut hard goals. And that's because we only really get satisfaction when we go out of our comfort zone in pursuit of meaningful goals. But in order to attain those goals, you have to develop this quality of grit that was just emerging from Angela Duckworth's lab at the University of Pennsylvania as I was ending the the very first math year at the University of Pennsylvania. And so I tracked her work for years and I pulled a lot of new thoughts together. I have a slightly different definition from grit. So I'll tell you Angela's definition, then I'll tell you mine, then I'll let you ask a question. But Angela defines grit as passion and perseverance in pursuit of long-term goals. And as I work with the science of goal setting with clients and companies and other organizations, I also apply the science of grit and realize pretty early in it, because Angela doesn't work with people to help them cultivate grit, I do. So early Mm -hmm. on, I ran into a very, you know, I think obvious roadblock, and that was there's bad grit. There are people who pursue the wrong goals endlessly when they should disengage, and they do it to their detriment and the detriment of others around them. And I have other categories of bad grit. So I came up with an umbrella definition of good grit, and I call it authentic grit. And for me, it's still about passionately pursuing hard goals and about going out of your comfort zone. But I think good grit awes and inspires other people. I think it has the end result of making an organization better, a person better, but also leaves people around them inspired to ask more of themselves too, much like a plus minus factor in basketball or Kim Cameron's work on positive energizers. But to me, that's grit in the right you know, context, in the right place for the right reasons. So that's my definition for what I call authentic grit. Awesome. And you obviously use that in your work with people. Like you said, I work mm-hmm. with people to meet those mm-hmm. goals, to, to mm-hmm. set those goals. So how do you apply your concepts to helping people achieve their dreams or create positive changes? Well, in order to answer that, I have to really kind of go nerd on you. And that is, you know, I study goal setting theory. And one of the things that really stunned me as a certified coach who had had years of training in the coaching field was when I got to the University of Pennsylvania, I was, you know, assigned goal setting theory for one of my first assignments. And that's when I realized that one of these ICF core competencies, you know, managing progress and accountability and goal setting, I realized that I'd never heard of the scientific evidence for setting goals and that there were hundreds, if not thousands and tens of thousands of coaches who were setting goals with clients without understanding how to do it from an evidence-based perspective. And so I've tried to give back to the coaching world for the last eight or nine years, ever since I became aware of it, because I've uh, been in audiences of thousands of coaches, spoken at the ICF conference, and maybe one person in the audience raises their hand as being familiar with the science of goal setting. So I start, and, and I've really tried to 
change that because I think the world deserves coaches who are trained in evidence-based approaches. So that's what creating your best life has done. And so in order for me to apply the tools of goal setting and helping people manage progress and accountability through a variety of methods, it's really important to unpack grit because the most meaningful, important, and life-changing goals are outside of your comfort zone, and they don't come overnight. They don't come immediately. They'll require foresight, foresight and planning and teamwork and learning how to be resilient in the short term so that you can be gritty in the long run. And so that involves humility and patience and perseverance and goal setting and having passions. And so what I do is I unpack all of those, not just in my coaching practice, but in this book, because grit is something that anyone can cultivate. And I have very personal stories about how I had to cultivate it to save my own life in the book, because I wanted to write a book about something that people can aspire to cultivate, not something that's just, you know, born to the right people in the right life circumstances. So this book is really applicable for anyone who wants to go beyond being just good enough or even, you know, mediocre, but really going for, you know, swinging for the fences and wanting to give their best effort over a long period of time to see how far they can go. And so that's how I use many of the concepts in the book. And I can go into them one by one, or we can just kind of talk a little bit more generally about that. So the important point here is that while we're referencing your new book, Getting Grit, to really get the most out of the concepts that you teach in that book about grit, and for us to be able to bring the best to our clients, we need to understand the evidence-based goal-setting theories. And that's what's presented in your book, Creating Your Best Life, which would then be a key resource for coaches who want to understand that science of goal accomplishment, correct? I think it's probably the best one. And no one has written a book that even challenges it in terms of its evidence base, its footnotes. Um, I was kind of startled when I was at Penn again and finally getting some really rigorous training that I could use as a coach because you know, no offense to anyone in the coaching field, but there was no rigorous training 15, 16, 17 years ago. I couldn't find it. I don't think it existed. And I think that was part of the, the, you know, criticism that coaches often got that was deserved, which was the training was thin and not rigorous and certainly not uh, built on any academic theories. And so that's what I did is it is a pen. I became affiliated with people who are actually doing, doing research. And so Creating Your Best Life came out and, you know, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, all of those books are just full of urban legends. I hate to say it because I had all of them. I mean, I even had their stuff on my website, like the Harvard study of 1950 and people who write their goals down. And when I found out that was an urban legend that was being passed around from, you know, Tony Robbins to Zig Ziglar to Brian Tracy, and I realized that none of these books had footnotes in them. You could never track the source. And I realized I'd been taken. And I really felt like, you know, if I'm going to work as a coach, I want to work with credibility mm-hmm. and evidence. And so that book came out. Heidi Halverson's book came out about three or four years later. Maybe one other one, but I can't think of the name of it. Live Happy Magazine literally just printed the 10 best goal setting books that you could, that, that exist for setting goals. And I know mine is number three on the list. And I think you'd but have that to look is that really up. wonderful that, that your you. your book is 
isn't this book also getting grit one of the 10 books that will change your life in 2017 That's according a different to list, but it's, I'll, t- I'll take it yeah, yeah I'll take list, whatever list, list there I'll take any list yeah I think that my book is the first one that goes beyond the fact that grit is important and yes the research shows that it you know predicts who finishes the first summer at West Point or who finals in the National Spelling Bee or who makes special forces teams or men who stay married or people, particularly first gens who finish college. I mean, her little grit scale 12 questions predicts a lot of important things. But as I said earlier, Angela doesn't work with people to help them cultivate grit. So I went beyond the research and really talked about my story, but also how I've helped other clients over many, many decades and and friends and acquaintances and family members be able to match what it is that we see in these authentically gritty people and learn how to cultivate them. Because as I say, these are all things we can do better. One of them is humility. I mean, we live in a society where being humble has just gone out of fashion. I mean, we've just got selfie parades all the time and people posting relationship status and, you know, always talking about themselves. We even have had this, you know, you know, shift in in the words used in songs in the 1980s and 1990s. And the most prominent words are I, me, and my. And I could go on and on and on. The book is packed with research on how we became such a self-absorbed world and, and society. And so humility is something you just don't see very often. And yet when you study the grittiest people, they're the ones who aren't trumpeting their own accomplishments. The people who do hard things, but who need to brag about it all the time on Facebook or wherever, I call this selfie grit. And to me, it's not inspiring when someone has to always promote themselves. It's often at the expense of other people. These are not people who often, you know, share accolades with others. My, my poster child for selfie grit is Johnny Manziel, the very electric, you know, phenomenal football player from Texas A&M, who just made it all about himself. And he would flash the money sign after great plays instead of pointing to the linemen who blocked for him or the receivers who caught his passes, how had they gotten free. And so, you know, and look at where he is in life right now. So we really need to stay away from the whole idea of, you know, promoting ourselves at all costs. I'll tell you one quick story that um, I see them all the time in the paper. A college baseball coach was saying that he's having trouble recruiting high school players for his college team because what he's found is so many of them have hired very, very special coaches to make them the best pitcher or the best catcher, but somebody who's a superstar, not necessarily a team player. So he has to spend an inordinate amount of time with these players, teaching them how to do fundamentals like field a ground ball. And he was really lamenting that this generation hasn't learned to play well with others. And when that is not present, you don't have humility. So the book is really about how to cultivate qualities like humility, for example. So as a coach, how would you take this evidence-based and so strong? I mean, I couldn't agree with you more that the concept of evidence-based is something I'm happy to see building, but it hasn't always been there. And the incredible importance that where's the research, where's the underlying theory that has been sort of tested and tested again. And so, so both of your, the two books that we're talking about are Mm -hmm. evidence-based as coaches, when we can use things that are evidence-based, it Mm -hmm. increases really the validity of what we do with our clients as well as we're we're able to kind of apply that. 
Well, if you want to have high quality clients, I think you have to have high quality approaches because it does make you more credible. But beyond that, it makes clients more likely to be successful because if you're just going with smart goals or the law of attraction or a client says, here, here are my goals, let's go. And you aren't asking the important questions behind how was the goal set to figure out if it's intrinsic or extrinsic. Is it somebody else's goal or is it their goal? You know, what is the so what behind this goal? And on and on and on. You have to ask all the right questions to figure out if the goals are even appropriate. I spend several sessions just making sure that there is some evidence behind the fact that these goals are well set. And if they're not, we spend time figuring that out and doing an exercise I love called Best Possible Future Self, where people spin into the future and they write about life as if everything has gone as well as possible 10 years from now. And so this very simple journaling exercise that you traditionally do over three or four days, 20 minutes at a time, has been found to have profound impact on people in a variety of ways. One thing it does is it clarifies goals and conflict, which is a piece of, you know, research that I found, you know, deep in academia, where many people are pursuing goals and conflict, and they don't know it till they do a journaling exercise, like best possible future self, because they both hold, they hold both of these goals as very, very valuable, but they haven't consciously moved one up and one down until they realize that the pursuit of one makes the other one less likely, or they can't be pursued at the same time. The research shows you'll be absolutely stalemated. You won't make progress on either one until you very consciously go through this process. That's just one way that you can begin to clarify short-term goals, long-term goals, goals in conflict, goals that are inappropriate, and, and so on and so forth. So that's, that's just the goal-setting piece. That's the evidence base. But the way I use the evidence behind grit is I often start by asking people, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? And, they, and I often have clients just take the grit scale because people mistake success for grit, and they're two very different things. So you can have an ostensibly successful, talented person as a client, and yet they've always protected themselves by doing things they knew they could do, not things that they had to go out of their comfort zone to do. That's actually far more common than people realize, because very competent people can do a lot of things, but does it mean they've had to go out of their comfort zone all the time? No. And so what I often find is a big goal lurking behind the, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Because if they say, I can't really think of anything, quickly ask, what will you regret not pursuing? If you're looking back on your life and you haven't made progress on something that's valuable or meaningful to you, what I find is everyone has an answer for that question. Everybody. Because, and especially the people who have what's called a fixed mindset, the ones who've pursued goals that kept them inside of their comfort zone that they knew they would be praised for. And they protected getting that praise at all costs because they're afraid that they will fail if they do things they're not sure they can do. And so it's really important to understand Carol Dweck's work and motivation on fixed and growth mindset, which is another tool that I think many of us who've been trained in, you know, the, the academic side of coaching use with clients. Um, so I just start there. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? Because then we have to talk about where's your self-regulation? Where's your willpower? What, you know, how do you delay gratification? Do you delay gratification? Or are you always doing the next thing that's the shiny penny? We also find that people can't focus. And this is, this is part of our technology-driven, you know, community and world where our ability to actually focus is one second less than a goldfish now. 
So, you know, we find that a goldfish can maintain eye contact and focus for eight seconds. And for human beings, it's seven seconds. And it's getting worse by the year. And so the inability to focus and do deep work really hurts the ability to cultivate grit. So those are, you know, just a few things I talk about before we get into what are you passionate about? Not what are your interests, because you can have a lot of interests. But what are you passionate about? Because grit is, is marked by having passion. It's almost like this zygarnic quality. You wake up thinking about it. Because the zygarnic effect is that things that are left undone pull you into the future. So I think grit has a zygarnic component to it where you're pulled forward by those passions. doesn't matter what other people are doing. Your mind always goes back to that thing you're passionate about. So that's another discussion. What are you passionate about? So those are just a few ways I use it. Now, that's interesting. So if you were working with somebody that had the attention span of the focus was really in the way for that person, what mm-hmm. might you do to help them address that? Because I, my gut would be that if they had absolutely no focus, they would be having a hard time partnering with you to get where they wanted to be. I could well, be wrong. I think people can be very successful, but also unable to, to monotask. You know, they'll just go around putting out fires, doing the next, next thing. And I think most people are very reactive in life. I think the last time I saw figures on this, about 20% of people are proactive most of the time, but 80% of people are what we call languishing or reactive. You know, they're reacting to what's put in front of them or what other people ask them to do or what other people need them to do. Maybe it's your, you know, your children or your aging parents, whatever it is. So you have to be proactive and able to do things that are hard. And so I think when people find me, they're aware, and I'm working with several clients right now who are aware that for all their successes, they're hopscotching from thing to thing to thing, and they want to learn how to monotask. Well, that's one of the the assignments, actually, is to monotask, is to just do things one at a time. If you're driving, don't pick up your phone. If you're watching television, don't distract yourself with a computer. If you're talking to someone, keep your gaze on them. And it's very difficult. People find it very, very difficult to actually do this because they're so accustomed to distracting themselves. And I heard, I listen a lot to Wharton, um, Wharton Channel 111, a business radio on Sirius XM, because I, I teach goal setting and grit in the, in the Wharton Business School to companies, because a lot of them have no idea how to do scientific goal setting either. Um, but I listen to that channel a lot. Um, I heard some really interesting things this morning, including people who are lonely now don't reach out and connect with other people They connect with their phones. So they don't even have to practice making eye contact. And, and gritty people have to build relationships with other people because you have to have the support of others to, to actually get to these long-term goals. And so I think one of the things I ask people to do is take a look at their technology use. And also, how often are people out in nature really being awed to the point of being speechless? I mean, how often are you speechless in the presence of someone else's um, behavior or performance? We're, we're considered to be an awe-deprived society now, where we're just not exposing ourselves to things that are extraordinary, that really deserve a standing ovation. So I get people to think about the quality of awe and being in flow. That's Cheek Sent Me High's work. So People can learn to focus, but we've gone so far in the wrong direction of having so many things coming at us that, that it's very difficult for many people to let go of these distractions. 
So that's just some of the ways. And you can do the self-regulation interventions to help them delay gratification. There are a lot of different ways to go at it, believe it or not. But it's when someone's motivated to do something hard and they're in partnership with a coach who believes in them and has these tools available, you can really do amazing things. So that's the fun of my job. That's also a great soundbite for the value of coaching. Yeah. That was a really nice summary in that. You talked about the grit scale. Mm-hmm. How would people be able to access or, you know, find out more about the grit scale? Is it in your book? I don't print it. Angela or the University of Pennsylvania, they have the copyright, but I do have a link to the grit scale on my website. I have something called an authentic grit challenge where I have people take their grit score, get their grit score, and then engage in three months of challenges to see where it is after three months. So I can link to it. And I'm fairly certain Angela makes it available at the Positive Psychology website from the University of Pennsylvania. So I think there are several places you can link to it or get it. But those are two I know of. Okay, but a really useful tool for somebody who might want to know where they stand in, in the face of grit. Well, one of my assignments when I was teaching at UTD all those years was I had people take the grit scale and then write a paragraph about, does this accurately reflect you? And I was always interested by the reactions. If somebody scored, let's say, a two or a three, which isn't that great, they would say, yeah, this really does describe me. When something gets hard, I move on to another another goal. So there was a certain amount of self-awareness because they'd been called out by the score. And then for people who also scored high in via strengths of, let's say, perseverance and diligence and and zest, they were ones who often had slightly higher scores and they were able to feel proud of it and say, yeah, this this is the result of the hard work I've done and the energy I bring to the things that are important to me. So that little grit scale is pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. So when we look at the, the impact that both positive psychology and then your work around grit and and cultivating I love that passion perseverance persistence and and purpose what that does to your work as a coach how has that impacted sort of how you present or who you are as a coach to the world? I I think I've developed a niche that is pretty well known in the positive psychology field for being devoted to using proven evidence-based tools that are grounded in scientific studies, rigorous studies, I think it gives me more credibility with people who want to invest money in in coaching. And I just spent half of yesterday at a major international consulting firm, and they were lamenting the fact that they weren't always able to find coaches who had this kind of training, which, which alarmed them. Because once you become aware of the fact that this research does exist and has been out there for a while, you really want to work with somebody who has those tools. There's been research coming out of the University of Sydney for over 15 years about just having a coach who is trained in goal-setting theory flattens the ability to accomplish goals and shortens it by two and a half years. And that research wow. has been around for quite a while. And so I become worried about coaches who haven't either pursued that line of education or who've never heard of it. And I wonder what training are they getting? What CEUs are they pursuing? Because I think that I see the benefits of going in that direction. And I think I'm comfortable wearing those shoes. They feel comfortable to me because I like to understand why things happen, not just that I think it's a good idea, but why did that happen? 
that is exactly why I have an applied positive psychology degree. It's not a positive psychology degree, and it's not even a psychology degree, and I'm not a psychologist. Marty Seligman always says that we are applied positive psychologists because he wants to bring you know, several dozen men and women from around the world to Penn every year and teach them all of these principles and theories so that we can go back and disrupt our fields with this new academic grounding and apply the research. So that's why the applied word is in the title. And it's meaningful to me because I always ask myself and I research just for fun because I love it. I just love it. I have the new book on the theory of self-determination next to my bed. It's just dozens of studies. I just think it's brilliant. But I always ask myself, so what? When I read this research, what's the breakthrough here that I can actually use with clients? And there's so much stuff out there. I can barely keep up with it. And so that's what I find makes me better at what I do. But I see it reflected back to me as something that they think helps me stand out and apart from other coaches because there's thousands, if not tens of thousands of coaches and people have to know what you bring to the table that's mm-hmm. different and, and easy to, to validate and verify. And that's, for me, that's what it is. And when you're talking about research, the energy in your voice, I, I'm a real research junkie too. I mean, it just excites yeah. me. It's like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's, um, this is how this evidence shows up here. And, and so that really kind of flows out of you. Yeah. So your book just came out, Getting Grit, The Evidence-Based Approach to Cultivating Passion, Persistence, and Purpose, and excited to, so let's check out Amazon for that. You know, it might be appropriate for me to just tell you how the theme of grit emerged from my first book in 1988 to now, because I think that's what anchors me in the importance of grit. And if we have time, I'd, oh, please, I'd just love to tell Oh, please, please do. Okay. Yes. Well, so... Uh, back in the 1970s, I fell victim to the eating disorder called bulimia. And at that time, it was prevalent, it was common, but it was considered to be a disorder that would kill you because nobody got better or, or you would be crippled for the rest of your life, kind of limping along with this eating disorder. And so it was a grim place to be. I was a competitive swimmer. I was at a prep school not far from where I live now in Washington, D.C., and and it was really running rampant through the schools, particularly girls' schools, and we knew that sororities were really struggling with this uh, issue. And once I got into it, I couldn't get out of it. And so for all the success I had, you know, whatever you want to point to, you know, piano or swimming or SAT scores or getting into all the right colleges, what I realized in hindsight as I learned about grit was I had success and talent, but I didn't have grit because I couldn't beat this eating disorder thing. I really couldn't. No matter what I did, I couldn't beat it. And I would just kind of give up at a certain point feeling hopeless because I didn't know anybody who'd gotten better. I'm not sure the world knew anyone who'd gotten better. It is such a difficult diagnosis to deal with. You know, in my background as a clinical social worker and working on an adolescent psychiatric unit, it is an incredibly difficult condition to overcome. It is. And you have. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, and what I wanted the world to know was um, I hit my last bottom after seven or eight years of this. And I went on to Harvard and I graduated with honors and, you know, really appeared to be achieving, but was really dying inside. And I hit my last bottom in early 1984. And I, I feel very fortunate 
that a woman who didn't need to be at a 12-step meeting for compulsive eaters was there. And she uttered a sentence that, that altered the course of my life. And I think it's partly why I'm so fascinated by grit. And she just said, my name is Betsy and I'm recovering from bulimia one day at a time. And I'd never heard those words. I, I, don't, I know I'd never heard all those words used in one sentence. And in that moment, I became hopeful. And because I became hopeful, everything else in my life changed. And I know from studying hope theory at the University of Pennsylvania, and I've, I've talked about it in my books, because that's a tool I use as well, is to elevate people's hope, is once you have hope that something's possible, two things change in your brain. One, and it's called pathways thinking. One is that you begin to generate more solutions to get to the finish line of whatever the goal is. And the second part of that is you believe you have what it takes to carry out those solutions to accomplish those goals. So I had hope. And because I had hope, everything else changed. And through what I realize now were the ingredients of grit, you know, failing on an epic scale, but having the vulnerability and humility to be somewhere where I could be available for someone to give me hope and become a role model. I learned how to take things one day at a time. Talk about self-regulation. I couldn't binge. I had to go from meal to meal, being accountable to other people in my program, but I wouldn't purge the food. I wouldn't do anything. And so I also had to give back. There's a great saying in 12-step programs, you can't keep what you don't give away. And I realized I couldn't just take it and get better. I had to take it and give it back. And I've spent the last few decades giving it back. Whatever it is that I've learned that's made my life better, I find a way to give it back quite often through books. But I got better one day at a time. And what happened was I remember in 1986 when I wrote most of the book, it came out in 1988 because it came out of me in this hot rush, six months, it just came out of me. It ended up being the first book published by anyone who'd gotten better, anybody. And it just blew the doors off the eating disorder field, the you know psychology field. My God, look, she got better. Somebody got better. How did she do it? Let's unpack it. The most important thing to me was I developed grit. And that's why I wanted to write this book is because I did it for all the right reasons. And in the process, I've inspired other people to do the hard work of recovery. And that to me is very meaningful. And so I want people to know that this quality is gettable. It's hard, but anything worthwhile is hard. And too often I hear people say, oh, it's hard. And they think that's a reason to stop doing something. If it's hard, it's worth doing. And so that's where my interest in grit really started. If you look at all my books, the thread that runs through every one of them is grit. And I really plead with everybody, set hard goals, set goals outside of your comfort zone. Don't go for low hanging fruit, because at the end of the day, we all scan our days for what we're proud of. And the things we're most proud of are the things we did that were hard outside of our comfort zone. We're not proud of the things that were easy. That's the, you know, we end up feeling mediocre. So if I had, you know, words to leave people with, you know, work with a coach who's trained in this, set, you know, hard goals outside your comfort zone, get your circle of support around you, you know, the active constructive responders, have primes in your environment and cultivate these character strengths that really do lead you to have authentic grit because that's when life is really good. And that's when you've left a mark behind that's going to allow other people to inspire to become better too. Wow. I don't think I can ask a, a question that's going to tie us up any better than that. So thank oh. you so much for your time. 
know. It was it was a wonderful way to kind of pull us to the close. And thank you for sharing your personal journey. Thank you for sharing your incredible wisdom. And we will connect people with you so that they can continue to learn and grow from you. Well, I just want to say thank you for doing a show that I wish I'd had access to 15 years ago that actually brought these tools to other coaches. So you're really shining a light on a very important part of the field, and I salute you for that. I'm happy to partner with you to do that. So thank you for joining (laughs) us today. Thank you. If this topic of grit interests you and you'd like to hear more from Caroline, listen to her TEDx talk on grit titled The Moments That Make Champions. It's posted on the resource page at starcoachshow.com, as well as links to her books and her website. The book that she referenced at the very end of the interview was My Name is Caroline. So she has lots of different resources on her website. If you want to be able to get more information about Caroline Miller, visit starcoachshow.com and go to our resource page. I really hope that you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed spending time with Caroline. While Getting Grit had not yet been released when I was interviewing her, I had pre-ordered it and was very excited when it arrived on my doorstep the day of its release. I'm really thrilled to be able to read more into the subject and continue to apply this work to my work with clients. So now I have a big favor. I ask all of you to use your grit If you're having challenges leaving a review for the show on iTunes, I have heard back from several of you that you want to leave a review, but that you're just really feeling challenged by being able to navigate the iTunes website. So the easiest way is to go to starcoachshow.com, click the link that says if you want to leave a rate and review. And then when you get there at the very top, it'll say ratings and review. And you click on that. You choose a nickname and you leave a comment. And I know that it can be frustrating if you feel like you're hitting a wall with it, but I do know that it works and it would really help the show. So if you're getting value from the show and you're enjoying it and would be willing to test your grit and leave a review, I would really appreciate it. Thanks in advance. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. See you next week.